Welcome to the Summoning Hour. Welcome, everyone, to episode 55 of the Summoning Hour. My guest this week also joining me from Texas is Eugene Fryer, Director of Esports and Gaming at Texas Wesleyan University. We go off the rails a little bit on talking about WoW and old school gaming and some of our own preferences, but this just gives you that deep insight or deeper insight into who is running this program and what it actually means to be a part of that community or as I call out later in the episode, being part of the village, being part of it takes a village to make this program work and these types of programs work. So I was really impressed with what Eugene is doing with his program, with the size of school that he has, which is probably the smallest, maybe second smallest university that I've interviewed with. And yet they are years ahead of that other school. And for the school at their size, they are competing way above their belt, way above their weight range. And they are winning. They are creating a presence. They're creating community and they're working on creating value through education and content. And it's it's what I love about esports. So give it a listen. Let me know what you think. Anchor.fm slash the summoning hour. Leave me some feedback. Let's talk about this episode. This week's musical guest is Turbo Vice with their song Summer Nights. Getting us ready for that sweet, sweet sound of summer in 2019. if you're any other business or group involved in esports whether it's professional or collegiate or the business side or you're just another crazy fan like i am trying to do something for this space because you care about it so much reach out let's get in touch you can hit me up on twitter facebook instagram all of it is at warlocker call you can also find me on twitch under the same name i'm available let's talk with that, let's just get into the episode now. Okay, we are recording. We are live. We are good to get going. So this is summoning hour 55, I think. Wow, I jumped five five farther than I remember recording. But I am here with Eugene Fryer, Director of Esports and Gaming at Texas Wesleyan University. How's it going? Yeah, it's going well, man. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Of course, yeah. No, I'm always out on this journey of understanding where collegiate esports is at and where it compares to like professional esports. But there's so many different takes to where collegiate esports can vary almost as much as, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to say it's more varied than professional esports. There's way more colleges, that. way more teams, and way less restriction around how these teams compete because there's even less governing around college. So I'm here to find your take and Texas Wesleyan's university's take as well. So let's just walk down the road of you as director of esports and gaming and what that means. Okay. Yeah. So um, our program, we are kind of young, well, like a lot of collegiate programs, uh, varsity programs, I guess, but we just completed our first year, uh, full year of competing, 
we started researching the program uh, back in 2017. Um, at that time, I was an assistant dean of students at Texas Wesleyan University and uh, looking into some new programs to engage and educate our students, uh, get them excited about something. And we kind of landed upon this. So our <laughs> it's been quite the journey, uh, just to be quite honest. Uh, we've iterated on the idea a lot, and I think we're, we're moving in a very, very positive direction right now. Uh, to give you a, a kind of quick sense of that, initially, uh, when I was looking into this, uh, we weren't looking into it, my boss and I, for it to be a thing in our division on, on our campus. We were looking into it for it to be, uh, I'm in the Division of Student Affairs, just for context. We were looking into it uh, for it to be a, an athletic program. Uh, like the way I pitched it to our athletic director was, you know, we have a football team, we have a basketball team. You know, with this information that we found, we think we should have a League of Legends team. We should have an Overwatch team. We went through this long presentation with them, and they seemed really excited about it. Uh, but they were just really frank in saying, um, we don't understand this. And we also don't really have any extra people that we could dedicate to it. So that was like the first iteration going just from the esports competitive teams, you know, practice, VOD review, workout, study hall. And it kind of started including some of the more content creation pieces there, uh, the community aspect. And now we're trying to build in like a career path as well. Uh, we just got a degree approved on our campus back in April, early April, um, a sports communication degree in our mass communication area. Uh, that students will be able to to major in esports communication uh, starting this fall. So yeah, there's there's a lot of different uh, changes that have happened to our program over the. I was going to say over the years, like it's been a really long time, but it's been like two years. But over the past couple of years, and that's uh, impacted what I do, kind of from a day to day uh, standpoint. You know. Yeah, and it's amazing how much work goes into these programs, how quickly they can grow, and yet it just like. It's only been a few months. I mean, there's there's clubs that boom just in that fall season of from like sub 100 club members to over 400, 500 just in that one semester. What has your growth been like since you've really founded the team or founded the program this year? Uh, it's been really cool to see. Just for another quick point of context, uh, we are a very small school and we actually didn't have an esports club before our program started. Uh, so our total enrollment, undergrad and graduate students, is right around 2,100 students. Um, and at the end of the spring semester, uh, we were at, well, I guess technically at our peak, which was about mid-April, uh, we were at 52 students. Um, those students were across our six competitive teams, our content creation team, and uh, our community team. Um, about 30... 34 of them were across our six competitive teams exclusively, though. Um, so it was kind of cool going from nothing to, to 50, 50 or so. Uh, we're actively recruiting for the upcoming year, not just competitive players, but uh, streamers. Um, and the, the content creation team uh, is, is something that we're really, really excited about growing out as well. Uh, we had a, a new student orientation um, Monday and Tuesday of this week. It ended today. Um, and we had a couple of recruits on campus attending orientation that were interested in a content creation. So I, I kind of mentioned how our, our program is iterated a little bit, and we're not trying to lose sight of the competitive aspect. We're not trying to lose sight of the teams that we have, being successful with them, giving, the res giving them the resources they need to, to compete with other schools. But we're trying to include more people, provide an engaging opportunity on our campus, hopefully lead to some networking and skill development that'll help students afterwards. So to give you a quick example of that, uh, one of the students that was at our orientation this past week, Nate, 
Uh, he's a theater student and he's really interested in uh, taking part in our content creation initiatives. Uh, we expand beyond just video games too uh, for the scope of our program, hence the esports and gaming. Um, but one of the things that Nate, Nate and I have been talking about is um, he's an avid, much like myself, he's an avid Dungeons and Dragons player. Uh, trying to maybe make a video series uh, on our campus in the upcoming year. A mini series, like three or four episodes, where we get faculty and staff that have no concept of D&D, teach them how to play D&D. That and sounds amazing. Have them play one shots, you know? Like the beauty <laughs> of that is that that's content that our students would want to watch. Seeing our president or our chief counsel, you know, having to make a saving throw after, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, no, that's going to be great. It's also exciting, too, because in our content creation team, we have several students that are interested in editing, uh, and they want to do that for a career. So not only is it like a fun thing, like, hey, look what we got to do, but hopefully they'll start to get uh, building out their experience and maybe even a portfolio of here's work that I've actually done when it comes to shopping that around for trying to get a position in a couple of years, you know? Yeah, and D&D is just the first step. Like That's oddly enough to say that's probably more mainstream than competitive gaming at this point. But oh, right now, absolutely. You get the yeah. faculty in on a uh, Overwatch squad or a League of Legends squad and you record them going into uh, ranked play. Like that, That'll that yeah. be mm. good, good old cool. internet memes right there. <laughs> well, no, another one right along those lines, another one that we're really excited about doing, or another two just really quick. You know, they have that... Um, I think it's Wired maybe does it. The like CIA intelligence officer, uh, you know, evaluates how CIA operatives look in movies or whatever, doing like the kind oh, of, right. I, I can't, um, words are failing me. Like an authenticity know. check. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting our Dean of Students to do that with Dean of Students from movies. Uh, just like a, a silly, but like engaging way of showing what he does, but also showing how maybe it's not accurate in movies. Uh, and the other one, I, I could ramble on about these ideas. I'm really excited about them. I could ramble on all, all night. But uh, one of our associate professors, uh, she teaches religion. She's been a chaplain for most of her professional career. One of the things that I really, really want to do, I've not got the okay from her specifically for this yet, but um, have a, a, a film series of her playing the Telltale Walking Dead games and then conducting interviews with her after each episode. So what did you think about that? What was the, how was the decision-making for you? Uh, how does this touch on the concepts that you talk about in class with your students? You know, I really like that looping back around to the curriculum because it's ultimately all of this is still about the education of students. And if you can make it entertaining or making it more socially relevant with some of the content or context that the students are exposing themselves to, that you're reaching them on a different level and on that entertainment level as well. Absolutely. Uh, one thing we say a lot on our campus is uh, if you give students a strong enough, if you give anyone a strong enough why, they'll figure out how. Uh, trying to use the, the spaces of esports, of gaming, of pop culture, of digital media to connect with students that maybe aren't as engaged as they could be and showing them that, hey, the stuff that you don't want to do, it's actually going to benefit you. And it's actually more fun than you realize, you know? That's one of my favorite parts about esports is that it's everyone initially wants to talk about the players and the path to pro is talking about players going into playing for like Cloud9, Tempo Storm, Optic Gaming, all of those all those big names, but the path to pro can also mean the people running the stream or running cameras exactly. or interviewing or managing the team, analysts doing research on your opponents and everything. There's so many roles that can be prepared for everyone 
regardless of your actual skill level in a game. It's just about, is this what you want to do? Is this what, something that you want to practice? Now, I mean, you've already leaned into this oh, quite a bit with having a curriculum around it, having a degree coming from it, as well as just incorporating so many of those different elements into the content that you're trying to make. And even content creation is one of those big skill sets nowadays. Like if you don't know how to upload to YouTube, you're missing a huge potential right. market. No, definitely. Uh, one of the big things that we're uh, building our program around, and we're trying to do this for our competitive teams as well, but it much more intuitively fits into our content creation team and our community team. But we have, I mean, we we have a career center on our campus. It's, you know, professional staff members that are focused on educating students to help them be career ready, you know, in conjunction with what they're learning in the classroom. And we've gotten some data from them. And this is data that's out there that anybody can find. But what are the skills that employers are most looking for from entry level or new employees? So we have that list and we're building out, okay, so what do we want our students to do in this program? And we're patterning it off of what employers are going to look for. So, I mean, you know, uh, gamers come in all shapes and sizes. Um, but we, we definitely have a few in our program that are a bit more of the stereotypical, uh, quiet, a little socially awkward, you know, are good at interpersonal skills, but don't know how to show that uh, with people they don't know as well, or don't know how to um, shift between talking to a peer versus talking to a teacher versus talking to a coach. Uh, how can we educate students on that kind of stuff too? So even if our teams don't do well at all, the entire time our students are competing, they're still walking away with fun memories, but also tangible things that will help them in the future. Now, just to be clear on that too, our teams are, we have won some stuff. I'm not saying that our teams are not winning at all, but uh, I think that's, it's, it's all about what your goal is. Absolutely. Well, I mean, now that you've brought up your teams and your competition, uh, what teams do you have performing at, at that uh, competitive level? I would say uh, the three that I, I talk about the most uh, from, from the six that we had last year, we're going to be adding Rocket League next year, but the six that we had last year were Overwatch, League of Legends, Hearthstone, Smash Ultimate, FIFA, and Madden. Our FIFA team is in a small league. It's a, a Northeastern regional league, uh, and there are six teams in our league, but we got second place in the fall, first place in the spring. That was really exciting. Our Hearthstone team competed through TESPA. And uh, they did pretty well. I mean, uh, in the fall, they ended the season. They're in the open division. I want to say it was 28th out of 182 teams in our region. And then in the spring in the varsity division, they ended the season in the top 10 uh, nationally, which was really, really exciting. Uh, playoffs didn't go as well for our Hearthstone team, but uh, this is a really big win. This is a really cool thing to explain to people too, but a really big win for a small school like us, like Texas Wesleyan. There are some people that live in the Metroplex that we're in that, that don't know about us because we're the... <laughs> fifth or sixth smallest university in that area so for us to be able to tell for me to tell my boss yeah we beat ucla in hearthstone last night and yeah we beat you know university of utah one of the marquee programs nationally we beat them in hearthstone as well that's that, it makes you feel good you know, that's something to hang your hat on absolutely absolutely and the third team that i bring up uh they weren't as successful but I'm really, really proud of what all they got to, to accomplish this year was our Overwatch team. Uh, coming into the spring season, uh, we had, um, well, through the fall season, I guess, it was more of an off season for us. We didn't take part in the test season in the fall, but we were prepping for the spring season. Uh, we had two uh, top 500 players that were going to be leading our team, and we felt we were we could, we could be in a better spot, but we were in a really, really good place. But then, unfortunately, due to a, 
a series of uh, unexpected circumstances, neither of them were able to compete in our spring season. Oh, no. So that was a shot in the stomach at the beginning of the semester. But if you look at what the SR was of the team that we had compete and you look at the results that we had, we played well above our rank. And I'm really, really, really proud of that team. It gave us a, a solid launching uh, pad for going forward into next year. Now, the players obviously were bummed. You know, they don't want to lose. Uh, but it's how they handled themselves, how they carried themselves uh, against, I mean, pretty much every week, higher skilled opponents. Uh, they still made the playoffs in their regional league. Uh, they didn't make it in their national league, though. Um, but those are the three that probably stood out the most uh, from our program this past year. That's amazing success, considering that you're how the size of your school and like the resources available to you. I mean, I know or according to your website, there is some scholarships available and you're recru- actively recruiting for those positions even outside of the competitive team. But in comparison to, like you mentioned, Utah or UCLA or UCI and even Boise State, like yeah, a lot of those program. big programs, they have a lot of funding behind them or and they just have a lot of purposeful buy-in to esports. And I mean, for the school of your size, you're getting probably a considerable amount of attention and awareness on campus, but it still kind of falls short of some of those really big schools who have thousands upon thousands of students who want to do esports. So how do you attribute your success with such a small school? I mean, your your school or one of the school mottos I saw on your website was smaller and smarter. Yeah, yeah, that's our our main tagline. Yeah, um, I think I think it's a combination of things, uh, as you could say, with with success in a variety of ways. You know, it's, it's rarely just one thing that leads to it. I think we got kind of lucky with some of the people that we had leading, especially the teams that I mentioned to you. Uh, our current captain for Overwatch, the person that stepped up after we lost those players, um, is a, a very, very mature, got a, a good head on his shoulders uh, guy, and he helped. He freaks out sometimes when things aren't going well, um, but he helped steady the ship after, like I said, that shot in the stomach. Um, our FIFA team, uh, we're very, very lucky. And, and this is, again, where I say, look, this is truly luck. Uh, the student that led that team, he came to our university to play football. Uh, and then the summer before he got here, he, uh, I think he tore his ACL. So he was going to try out after he rehabbed, but he still came here, but then he ended up not trying out. And then we ended up creating the program. And uh, he is he is very good. Uh, when we first started talking to him, uh, that was when FIFA 2018 was out. And his, uh, you know, like, I'm not sure how familiar you are with FIFA and the, the ladder, how it works, the competitive ladder. But like there's, you, you're ranked based on how well you, how much you win. And it's like with Overwatch, you have a, an SR, you can be, you know, 4,200 or whatever. With FIFA, it's like you are number one or you are number 10 or you are number 4,000 or whatever. And he was uh, good enough that he got to rank four in uh, North America, not college, but people that played in North America. So, and he's got like an educator's brain too. So he does a great job of breaking down footage. We record all of our FIFA games of breaking down footage with our players and going, going through not only game sense uh, and all that kind of stuff for playing FIFA, but also here's how you can trick, (laughs) you know, when you make your player over here, do a run, your goalie thinks this is happening and the goalie moves over there, which gives you a shot, you know, to curl it into the far post or whatever. So, and he came for football. So we got lucky with that. And then our Hearthstone team, um, the student that led that this year, and, and the people that we had on that team uh, were just really, really passionate about it. They were, they were a really tight group, the three of them, um, and they just dedicated a lot of time. Uh, they did a lot of research into opponents and stuff. But one thing I will say, you mentioned Boise State. Uh, I know you, you spoke with, with Haskell. Uh, 
I think this is a great representation of, of where collegiate esports is right now that I think is extremely positive. As you mentioned, there are very big programs, there are very small programs, and there's a lot in between. Um, but I think it speaks a lot to the spirit and, and ethos of people that are running these programs and people that are interested in this, this area that Chris Haskell was one of the main people that helped me make my program. And even though we're on very different levels as far as our program and our resources, we still exchange messages, bounce ideas off each other. We played them in Hearthstone, actually, and we beat them. <laughs> sent me like joking, angry messages, you know. Um, and I think that's awesome because if you're looking at, not to be mean to traditional athletics, but, you know, I don't think our basketball coach is talking to a D1 basketball coach outside of somebody that maybe he's known for a long time, but somebody that he met a year, two years ago. They're not talking about, you know, how are you running your program? What are things we can do together? Can we set up a scrimmage? And that, yeah. that happens with collegiate esports, and that's so amazing to me. Yeah, all of those uh, traditional sport programs, I mean, they were founded in a very different time and a different era where these were like secrets till you die kind of uh, exactly. programs. Like these were like membership only type uh, things, and you didn't share anything outside of them. But with esports, professional and collegiate, more collegiate now, where everyone was searching for validation and saying, no, we're real. This is real competition. Professional esports has proven that collegiate esports is getting its time to shine and in front of a lot of people. But the thing that's best about it is that community is first and foremost amongst gaming, amongst prof like any competition. You go to any of the major events or even minors for any game, and you just have the crowd really into it. Whether you're cheering for opposite teams to the person who's sitting next to you, you're there for a good time. And what I've found with the collegiate esport programs is that everyone is there to make their program better. Even the collegiate Rainbow Six League, with a lot of the teams having done the first season this past fall, they were all collaborating on how to make the spring season even better. Like you don't, you just don't get that level of interaction with other schools or other programs in traditional sports. No, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. I, I, I can even give you an example from today. Um, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, Grapevine Colleyville, uh, their independent school district had a uh, esports coaching clinic. They had it was yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and uh, it was high school administrators from across the state uh, drove out, and they've been sharing ideas, talking back and forth. And there was a session today that me and a colleague from another school in the area went out and spoke with about the the collegiate side of things, and uh, just to be in that room. With, uh, with a professional company, EPA, the Esports Performance Academy, they, they do uh, coaching and uh, skill improvement in esports. But to be out there with them, with one of my colleagues from a different school, and with there's like 20, 25 uh, high school administrators out there, it's like we're all trying to work together to make this, to, to, to elevate, you know, the entire space. Like a, a thing that some of my students <laughs> hate me for saying because I say it a lot, and some of my colleagues too, but I think it's true. Uh, my dad used to always say this. But a high tide raises all the ships, you know, so I love that so many people working in this space right now are like, hey, what can I do to help you? What can I do to what can I do to make sure that you avoid the mistakes that I, you know, encountered? And I'll tell you, that's rare in higher education, too. Uh, so I started working full time in higher education back in 2004. And I've I've created departments. I've created programs. I've you know managed already existing departments, a bunch of different stuff. And not until I worked in esports had I had so much transparency from other universities when I reached out to them saying, hey, we're looking into this. You know, what information? I don't know a lot about this. What information can you give me? With other areas, it's like 
you know, here's some bullet points, you know, look into this website or here's a conference you might want to go to. I had people with esports saying, oh, dude, here's my budget. You know, here's the yeah. stuff that I spent money on. Like, here's what I wish I would have put in it. And for me, it was amazing. But it was also like, oh, my gosh, like this is a I'm so surprised by this, but I'm so excited by this, you know. What do you attribute that transparency to with esports and higher education? I mean, you've been in that industry for what, 15 years now? Like, you've seen so much and you've done a whole lot. But if that transparency is different and new and exciting, like, what what is it about esports that is bringing that out? I think it's two things. Uh, I think one of them is 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 the newness of it. Um, there aren't any long rivalries in collegiate esports. If you look at club stuff, there's some that kind of go back, but we're still we're talking five or six years. Whereas if you look at some of the the traditional athletics old rivalries or some of the um just general institution rivalries, like some of those might go back a hundred years. So those those lines in the sand make it a bit different. But also I think even though there is negativity and toxicity in in gaming and esports on some level, I think it's the people that are running these programs are are people that are community focused and that are collaboratively focused and that are like, Oh yeah, if you do that, that can help you. And that might be able to help us. Cause maybe then we can meet up at this and you know, it just kind of grows from there. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like people are just being really forthright with wanting to do some good. Like they see that everyone is playing yeah. games and why wouldn't they want that on their campus? Why wouldn't they want something that's going to bring communities closer and tighter and kind of get them to stick around. Like I know, I know personally a few of my friends when they started going to college, they couldn't click with anyone. They couldn't find like that support structure there. So they ended up transferring schools like three or four weeks into the semester. And they, some one person I know actually transferred three times in the first semester, trying to find a group and trying to find something that was meaningful to them. Now, I, they didn't find what they were looking for in college, but I mean, that's that's a normal kind of story for some people where they just they don't feel like that they belong. But gaming being so accessible and so popular and you have it now hitting into the pop culture, like it's something that's going to ground a lot of people and give them those immediate connections. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Um this is something that I was talking about today with some folks at that clinic as well, but um, I, I've been a long believer. It's an old Will Wheaton quote that I heard like five or six years ago, but everybody's a geek about something because uh, being a geek isn't about what you love. It's about how you love it. So a thing exactly. that I, I've always explained um, to to administrators on, on, on college campuses that don't, don't have interest in the uh, traditionally geeky or stereotypically geeky areas, I talked to them about the grocery store litmus test. And this, this will tell you what you're a geek about if you don't know what you're a geek about. What topic or two topics or 10 topics, if you are standing in line in a grocery store by yourself and you hear people behind you talking about something, whatever topics would make you turn around and start engaging with those strangers, that's something that you geek out about. You know, one of my older brothers used to always tell me, he's like, man, Eugene, like, I just, I wish I loved stuff the way you love, like that geek stuff. Like when I was reading comics and just playing video games and it was like, man, you, you could tell me basketball stats from 1992, like you geek out about that. It's the same thing. It's just different. It's a different topic, you know? So to be able to bring up the, those areas of interest, like you were saying with your friends, they, they couldn't find that community to be able to have a program like this, where you can show people at orientation, you can show people when they move into the residence halls, you can show people the first week they're on campus. Hey, no, there's people here that are like you. There's people here that want to talk about 
what a dumpster fire anthem was. There's people here that want to talk about, um, you know, the memes of all the, like, I'm a huge Blizzard gamer, but like, uh, what, do you guys not have phones, you know, and, and just joking about all that stuff that if you're, if you don't know about that, people will gladly tell tell you about it. But if you do know about it, you just got to hear a sentence and you're like, oh yeah, that's my people, you know? Oh yeah. You start, you, you, I mean, it's exactly like you said with the grocery shopping. Like someone turns around and says, "Oh yeah, I queued up and we, we dropped into uh, wh- like whatever location, whether it's Fortnite or Apex Legends." And like you hear that location, or or yeah, we dropped down and blah. And it's like, "Oh yeah, okay, I get that. I can I can see that in my mind, and I want to know that story." No, exactly. I remember uh, the first job I had after graduating. I was a hall director. Um, so like a full-time staff member living in the residence halls, just supervise the resident assistants and, and working, kind of build a community, make sure the students were safe, all that kind of stuff. And uh, very, very thankfully for me, World of Warcraft came out after I graduated from college because uh, that would have been a problem. Um, I'm a big, big WoW player. But I remember being in the cafeteria with a couple of my RAs, that, and these RAs did not play WoW, did not play video games even. But um, I was explaining to them DKP and, and you know how loot works and uh, if you use a DKP system and talking about dragon kill points. And a student was walking by with this tray of cafeteria food, and he stopped and he looked at me. And he said, y'all talking about MMOs? I was like, yeah. I was like, do you play? He's like, yeah, I play WoW. I was like, pull up a seat. You know, <laughs> long story short, um, and this had kind of already started before that interaction with me and a couple of the RAs that did play WoW, but we ended up creating a uh, World of Warcraft guild of people that were in the, the residence hall that all lived there. And it was about 15 of us or so, 15 or 20 of us. And it was amazing because it was people that probably otherwise wouldn't have met. It was a residence hall of about 500 students, but we would run old vanilla dungeons and then go get burgers at you know, 1 a.m. afterwards. And and it's people that I still talk to today, even though that was 15 years ago. Yeah. I think about several of the people that were in my wedding, I met playing World of Warcraft. My wife and I invited two of our guildmates that we have never met in real life, but have played we played WoW with for five years. You know, that community piece, I think, is what's at the heart of esports, of gaming. And I think it, the programs that you mentioned, the big programs, the, the marquee programs, community's at the heart of that too. Um, so that's one thing that I just love about this space right now. And man, your your fifteen squad rolling up on campus like you have you had most of a upper and lower Blackrock Spire going on back then. So I mean, you guys were oh, set. absolutely. Oh, oh yeah, you are I, speaking my language right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I used to be a huge Wowhead. I was there at Vanilla Day One, all that stuff. So, and I, I was actually an RA. Um, up at Western Washington University when Burning Crusade came out, and there were definitely okay. some the, some lifestyle choice conversations going on when that came out, and people were like, "Yeah, I haven't seen this student in two yeah. weeks." <laughs> I definitely, definitely know that. I uh, I got a little bit of uh, some of my colleagues looked at me kind of weird because when Burning Crusade came out, when Wrath came out, those were the only two really. I took a week off work. And I was like, I'm, I'm gonna be, cause you know, back for Burning Crusade, you got to go pick it up. Yep. You got to go install all your discs, all that kind of stuff. But we, we would take a week off, and it's like, all right, we're not gonna make great, you know, food choices for the next couple of days, but you know, we're gonna hit max level, and we're gonna start raiding, and we're gonna, and it's stuff that I don't encourage that now, cause that was unhealthy, but it's still stuff that I look back on with fondness for sure. Absolutely. I mean, all the WoW classic stuff coming out. Now it's like, I remember those days. I don't want to relive that grind. 
I will say this. I have to stop because I will talk about WoW for like. Okay. Okay. Fair but, enough. Um, but no, no, no. But but I will say I'm in the beta, and I was strongly of the opinion that people don't. I mean, what um, J. Allen Brack said a couple years ago at BlizzCon. You think you want you know vanilla WoW? You don't want vanilla WoW. I was preaching that, but I got in the beta, and there was something about it. And it's something that might fizzle out a month or two after the actual game comes out. But for right now, I'm not playing it too much just because work's a little a little busy. But right now, it's just the um, the slower pace. You know, in retail, wow, you're a god. And it's like, right. well, I'm going to pull those 19 people. And I'm not going to lose any mana or health. But this is like, oh, no, a second boar is coming. I might <laughs> die. <laughs> it's been really fun is all I'm saying. Yeah. No, actually, I will use that as a nice segue back. You mentioned unhealthy behavior when playing WoW and like stuff you wouldn't encourage nowadays. How do you keep your players from doing some of those unhealthy grind sessions of like eight hours of practice or your practice session and then go home and or go back to the dorm and then solo queue for eight to 12 hours while streaming? Uh, a lot of it's just uh, conversations and trust. There have been a few times where that trust is is <laughs> not been done well by some of our students, but it's talking about like, look, here are your expectations. And here, here's, I think, the important part that is often missing when, when working with high school students and college students, but talking to our players about here are your expectations and also here are why these are your expectations. You know, um, for me to be able to operate from a place of understanding, I think helps as well. Like with our Overwatch players, they know that, I mean, I, I play like, when an event comes out, I'll hop into arcade stuff and Overwatch, but I don't like play comp. But they know my gaming experience, my gaming history, and they they know that I get why you would want to do that kind of stuff. So to be able to talk to them in a one-on-one conversation or a group setting and say, This is why, this is why this is probably gonna hurt you. You know, I'm a big believer that when it comes to that kind of stuff, expectations are this is when you're gonna be in the room, this is when you're gonna be practicing. As far as the stuff that they're doing on their own, I'm not a cop, I'm not their parent. If it's not illegal, immoral, or unethical, I'm not going to operate from a you better not do this or don't do this. I'm going to say, if you do this, here are the bad things that would happen, and here's what it's going to limit you from doing in the program, and it might remove your scholarship. It might remove you from being on the team, but the choice is yours because you're an adult. So I think that honesty and just that transparency in the conversation is, is what's gone a long way with a lot of that stuff. Also, with a few of our teams, uh, they've built a pretty good community, uh, and they kind of help keep each other accountable. Because uh, for us, at least, I'm, I'm not sure how this tracks for other schools, too. But for us, us at least, the, the people that would be most likely the ones that would want to do that are also the people that, if they go on a couple losses, will start to mega tilt. And it starts being not just unhealthy, like you're sitting there for eight hours after, you know, two scrim blocks, but also like unhealthy for like your mental state and, you know, the, the mind kind of thing. So them, especially because we have a, a, good, a good amount of our students live in the residence halls, them making sure like, hey, like you're not you're not like in a good place right now. So like, let's stop. Let's go to the cafeteria. Let's go. Let's go hang out in my room and get some Grubhub. Let's, you know, whatever. So any, uh, not to sound corny, but again, relying on the community in that aspect, too. So setting those expectations on my end and talking with our students, but also relying on the culture that we've created. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that makes so much sense. I mean, your relationship as a director or as a coach is going to differ from someone else who's on the team. Like you can have a great rapport. You can have that understanding and that transparency from your perspective, but it's going to be the person who's on on comp with them. It's going to be the person who depends on them, who's going to be like, hey, we need we need to take a break. They're going to be the ones who get through to them the fastest, I think. Yeah, the same words that come across differently. 
from a different person. Exactly. Now, since you're also approaching things like curriculum with the esports communications degree and content creation, is there is there any sort of expectations that you have that are different for those other teams or the uh, those other pursuits than you have for your competitive players, even though it's kind of tied into the same program? With the actual uh, academic program side of things, that will be something that we encourage students to do, but that we're not directly involved in the facilitation of. So from the program itself, there won't be any expectations for the students that are, that are getting that degree. Um, but when you look at the community team and the content creation team, it does look a bit different. The, the time requirements look a little bit different. The expectations for behavior don't. We have everybody that takes part in our program, regardless of their role, sign a behavioral agreement. Um, and it's, it's not a legal document, please don't get me wrong, but it's got like legalese kind of language, a bit more like uh, formal language is a better way of saying it. But it basically boils down to there are laws and rules, make sure you follow them. Here's a GPA requirement. Uh, you're a role model on campus. Don't disrespect yourself or uh, you know the program. Just stuff like that. Similar expectations from a behavioral point of view, but it looks a bit different from a, a time point of view. The students that we had managing our social media weren't putting as much time into the students that we had that were hosting events on campus. We had about five or six events last year, and their time didn't look the same as you know our Overwatch team that had three or four scrim blocks a week and that had a VOD review and that you know all that kind of stuff. So the time was the biggest uh, difference in a lot of ways. Uh, one of the things that we are looking into, um, it's very, very early stages right now. The past 18 months to two years of recruiting has shown me that there's, and I knew this, but seeing it was a bit different. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of students that are in high school that are extremely passionate about games, gaming, and esports that either do not think they're good enough to compete on the collegiate level, even if they are, or know they are not good enough to compete on the collegiate level. Like, what, what's an outlet we can give them? If they're good at design stuff, the content creation team stuff could work. If they have ideas for videos or want to be on a camera or want to edit or film, the content creation could work. If they want to do events, uh, the community team could work. But what if they don't know what they want to do? What if they don't know what they want to do? But like you mentioned, there's so many positions. A bulk of the positions in the esports industry are not competitors. It's all the stuff around the competitors, the broadcasters, even the human resources for these big teams, the sales teams, all that kind of stuff. How can we create something that would provide an opportunity for those students to start looking at that career path? Even if they don't want to do that major that we have, what if they want to do theater or they want to do music or whatever, but they're like, that would be, that would be really, really cool. Um, so trying to build something around that, that again, it swings back to the education side of things, the reality of college. And I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir when I say this, but the reality of college is regardless of why you choose to go to college, you should be going there to get a degree. But the other reality of college is 10 years after you graduate, the stuff you look back on and remember isn't always the stuff that happened when you were in the classroom getting that degree. It, it might have been the study sessions, you know, for those tests. It might have been guest speakers on campus. It might have been running upper until 2.30 in the morning and then going to get burgers. You know, it, it could be a variety of things. How can we create something that would fill that part of the college experience, but would also directly tie into getting these students networked, getting these students uh, soft skill uh, development opportunities, getting these students uh, job shadowing opportunities. So that's something that we're trying to figure out um, the best way to, to put together in a meaningful way, both for the people that we would bring in to work with our students, but also, and most importantly, uh, the students that are at our university. There's so many points in everything that you just said that is just <laughs> right down the line of everything that I love about esports. I mean, this is 
being conscientious of where things are going. Like so many colleges, and I mean, for a school your size, you are still on par with a number of other schools that are like five to ten times as large or five times bigger than your school, and yet you are thinking of the same steps. You're thinking about the long term and you're thinking about the development of students and what's going to get them out out into the world to be professional out the door like this experience inside of esports organizations on campus is giving them several production level skills i've talked to a number of people who i would say you should come work with me as like a producer one we let's get you into production let's in a game studio let's let's go do this like that those are the skills that i want to those are the people i want to bring in and harvest and be like you're not going to be an intern you're not going to be a production coordinator or a a design intern or even having to go into qa you're going to come out of the gates ready to go with content creation with soft skills like you mentioned you can teach so many processes like agile and scrum and financial management and everything but it's not those skills that are necessarily the ones that are going to have you excel at that job it's going to be those soft skills which being a part of a community is going to help you with hands down. And if it's going to be something based in gaming that you enjoy anyways, like you were saying, those are going to be the memories that you have 10 years from now. And if you can wrap it into the, the schooling and the classwork, you're doubling down and you're creating such a much more powerful tool for students going to school. Yeah, that, that was a big part of what um, I report to our VP of Student Affairs a big part of our initial conversations about this, once we realized it wasn't going to go to athletic, uh, it was two things. It was one, this is never going to just be about students sitting in front of screens playing video games. And two, uh, what I noticed in my research was there are some schools that were uh, building esports teams. And we were very, very adamant that we wanted to build an esports program. And we're not there yet. I mean, just uh, the reality of how time works and you know, limited resources, but I think we're on a, a really, really good path. And um, it's, it's exciting to see the ground that we've covered so far, but it's extremely exciting to, to look ahead and see, especially some of the stuff that we're trying to work on right now that I, that I can't really talk about, but uh, all along the same lines of, of what I'm mentioning and what you were just talking about too, of all this being connected. Uh, intentional, des- intentional design uh, to create an intended outcome for our students and hopefully for the esports industry at large, you know? I, I imagine that, I mean, we're, we're looking at the first five to 10 years of students who are involved with collegiate esports graduating and coming out. And we're still in very much the wild west of professional esports, let alone collegiate esports. But after this chunk of five to seven years of when collegiate esports have really started to take off, we're going to impact professional esports more than I think anyone can really recognize just by the sheer volume of people who want to be involved. No, I definitely agree. I absolutely agree. And I'm, I'm my fingers crossed. I've been trying to take this kind of sub angle to the podcasting, but I'm really curious about how collegiate esports and the proliferation of people who are going to be moving into professional esports impacts game design and what games are being made into esports and whether or not we're seeing esports developed from the ground up. I mean, I know Riot has started their new Scholastic Association for Collegiate League of Legends. That's going to be a big deal. 
And it's going to yeah, be definitely. a huge, huge advocation for this is a legitimate sport. This is legitimate athleticism. And taking that talent at the collegiate level and saying, yeah, we want to broadcast this. That is only going to, as you said, rise, raise all the ships with it in that rising tide. Like that's yeah. proving so much about this space. Well, yeah, I definitely agree. I absolutely agree. And I think you look at as well what, um, you know, like with the high school esports league and with um, play versus working with um, National Federation of High School, I think it is, NFHS. But the stuff that they're doing to, to lay those tracks on the high school side of things, too. And, and how this is, this, this, the esports ecosystem, maybe 10 years ago, you're looking at amateur and professional. But in, you know, three to five years, you could be talking about a very, very real, there are seeds that are growing on the middle school level. There's a developed high school track. There's a developed college track. There's a developed amateur track. You know, it's, it's nuts to think about, but it's, it's really, really exciting. And how all that impacts stuff like you mentioned, like game design, just from a sheer information uh, spreading point of view, you know, there are so many people that I've talked to, you know, that the kind of weird thing when you're at the dentist, or you're at the doctors, you know, like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm an, I'm an administrator at a university. Oh, cool. Like, are, are you a teacher? It's like, no, I'm a staff member. Oh, what do you do? It's like, ah, do I explain it? Because they might not understand. I always want to, and I always do, but it's like, how can I approach this? Because I, I typically say... Uh, do you know what esports are? Uh, no. It's like competitive video games. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Even that simple thing, I think in two years, all you got to do is say esports. The, the people that have nothing to do with games or gaming, as that information spreads and as it becomes more normalized, what esports, what it's about, what the titles are, what it looks like on the various levels, as it enters the everyday zeitgeist, I think that'll have an impact on game design too. I mean, you think about... Um, any game that's becoming too casual, it's too casual, it's not hardcore anymore, it's too casual. That means it's, it's hitting a critical mass of people that are playing it oftentimes. So they're trying to open the door to get more people to come in as well. Well, how does that look when, when esports, when actual competitive titles hit that too? I don't think it'll ever go like really casual, but I think there'll be changes. I think if we look at, well, even if you look at, uh, I used to play Halo when Halo 1 was out. Um, very, very low level. Please don't get me wrong. Um, but I would go to some tournaments, play with some of the big names, you know, in the early 2000s. Even how that scene looked to how the Counter-Strike scene looked in around 2010 or so to how Overwatch looks now. It, there's iterations and changes that make things look different. I think as esports spreads more, there'll be some more noticeable changes when you look back even two or three years on how the competitive scene looked. Yeah, I mean, th think back 10 years ago. League of Legends wasn't even a thing, or it was just barely yeah. a thing. And it wasn't until 2011, so eight years ago, that the first League of Legends championship was held in like a dark corner in the basement of one <laughs> gaming event or another. And like now it's the world's biggest esport yeah. and it touches every country in the world. Like you wrap your head around that. In eight years, that's how much a game has changed. And now we're looking at franchising in multiple games. We're looking at whole different avenues for how teams are monetizing the business around it, what content teams are creating. Like if you look at Space Station Gaming, their whole thing is about making unique, valuable content following the Gary Vaynerchuk model kind of deal. But Tempo Storm 
they're about competition first and foremost, and their community supports guides and build guides and strategies and like really bolstering that competitive side. There's so many different takes and angles to it that we still haven't figured it out. All we know is that it's bigger. So, and one thing we've talked or you've mentioned high school esports a couple times, and to think that this is where college esports is about what five years since some of those marquee schools really started to get going, uh, like Maryville and Utah. Um, yeah. And with the conversation about high school esports already starting, and even some like junior high, middle schools talking about it as well. And I know up in Oklahoma, one of the school districts actually has a number of high school teams participating in a league. It's going to be adopted that much faster for than what college was adopted for. And so if high school and middle school and elementary school start getting those, then suddenly you have those P, the Wee leagues and the little leagues of esports going on. So I can't wait for ESPN2 to be highlighting little World Series Little League of Fortnite in five years. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. That's what was so exciting, honestly, about seeing the um, the coaching clinic today, too. Um, just these people from all over our state talking about, no, we want to do this, and we want to have big events on our on our on our high school campus. We want to have big events, big tournaments. We want to bring out college students. We want to do all this, you know. And it's like, man, I, I, this, I mentioned this today at the coaching clinic as well. We went to a a local high school. I took um uh three four. Three of the guys from our Overwatch team to a local high school. Me, the coach, and the three guys went out there. And as soon as we walked in, it was uh, like a computer lab room that there was, I mean, probably 25 computers with students playing, high school students playing Overwatch. And the guys on our team were like, man, where the heck was this when I was in high school? You know, and it's just how much change has happened um, even already before it's widespread adoption amongst high schools. Yeah. I mean, and all, all the other things that come from like professional sports that w- that will that will maybe be adopted into esports maybe not but i love the idea of watching an overwatch combine on a weekend and just being like oh that dallas really needs to pick up this guy because they have no frontline yeah. tank or like picking up this genji player and it's like being able to see what that combine looks like and i know nace is running um combines uh but they don't televise it or stream it as far as i'm aware which i'm gonna try and weasel my way into one of those things sometime but uh like between drafts and uh combines and then just these little leagues that are coming up and then it's like you have those dark horse players that kind of get known about but then they get like oh then they sign that letter of intent to a school and then that that presser is made into a big deal that that, those are going to be exciting times considering that you and i have been here working with esports as it's basically or collegiate esports in its infancy basically no for sure for sure and as that stuff becomes more widespread, like you're saying with the combines and stuff, I think, again, for the people that are not interested or not knowledgeable about games or gaming, it again normalizes it. Um, a, a thing that, that I'm looking forward to, this is one thing I've talked about with uh, some of the folks um, that have managed programs kind of in, in the Oklahoma, North Texas area, starting to uh, see leadership opportunities as well for these high school students. Like uh, you think about um, a leadership conference or something. For students that are interested in esports and how that might look, uh, you could even do a, an idea that I pitched to some folks today is like we can do a two day conference where day one is open to middle school and high school students and is exclusively the sessions are led by college students talking about 
how to run a meeting for your club or organization, how to approach professionals, how to whatever you want it to be. And then day two, it's run by esports professionals, but how to break into the industry, all that kind of stuff. And it's open to whoever that kind of stuff being more normalized as well would go a long way. Yeah. And I mean, there's clubs, I mean, there was clubs out here in Washington and I'm pretty sure it's a national program, the future business leaders of America. Like, yeah, yeah. we're, we're talking like full on production houses being on college campuses run by students with, with or without some faculty support. I think that's right up their alley. Absolutely. And there's no reason why there's no setback or no negative reason not to get involved with this stuff, considering how much attention it has and that schools like your own are starting to provide so much support for this and buy in like you're a Texan college and your athletic department is saying, we would love to help you, but we can't. It's not a, we're a football school, like Texas is all football, right? And I mean, born and bred, like football till the day you die kind of thing from some of my uh, old neighbors who are from there. It's Uh, it's pretty accurate. (laughs) And now we're talking like, we would love to help you, but we, we just can't. And that's acceptance. That is growth. And there's acknowledgement there. There's validation there. There And it's just a matter of time until the parents really catch up and start understanding what their students are wanting to do. I want to double back and make sure that we talk more about your program and your school. And let's, tell me some of those interesting facts that like a student might get if they were to be taking a tour, like you're trying to recruit them or like some of that culture that you have within your squads. Um, I think a lot of that goes back to what you mentioned earlier, the smaller, smarter thing. We we are a very, very small camp. And I think it, it, it shocked me when I first started working here. I started working here, actually, I hit four years this week. Um, so about four years ago this week, I started working here. And my again, we're around 2,100 students. My previous school that I worked at was 37,000 students. So a little bit different. Um, and throughout my career, before I worked at Wesleyan, I had never actually met the university president, uh, at the institution that I worked at. I'd seen him like give speeches or him or her, but give speeches or, you know, be at big events like, Oh, Hey, nice to see you shake their hand, but never met him. Uh, I think this speaks volumes about our, our campus culture. My second day working on campus, my boss said, Hey, president Slaybach wants to meet you. Let's go. (laughs) <laughs> my first thought was like, am I in trouble? Like, why am I? It's like I was going to the principal's office, but he was like, hey, nice to meet you, Gene. Glad you're on the team. And that permeates down to our uh, students as well. Like, it's it's not abnormal to see him or our dean of students walking around campus and students saying, hey, Dennis. And Dennis, our dean of students, saying back like, hey, John. And not like, hey, buddy, you know, but like, hey, I know you and I recognize you. I see you. That really, and that that hits home with faculty in our classes, too. Uh, the average class size for uh, all of our classes is 18 students. Our faculty members are the actual academic advisors uh, for uh, the students that are going through the degrees as well, which is great because the faculty members have that industry experience and they're the ones telling students, here's the kind of stuff that you'll want to look for based on what your degree is. you know. And all that really informs what we do in our department and that it's like, Everybody says this kind of thing, but I feel it's true for us, both in positive and negative ways. But like we're like a family in a lot of ways. And, and that's, what, that's what it's like when you're small. Um, you can't hide on a campus like Wesleyan. You can't hide in a program like ours because it's a, we're proud of the fact we, we got to a little over 50 students, but we're still a smaller program than some other ones on a smaller campus than most other ones. 
at least in the area. So I know when we had, we lost a couple of our FIFA players because they didn't want to play anymore, but they didn't tell me that. They just stopped coming. I, I saw them, like without looking <laughs> for them. I saw them like two days later. It's like, hey, what's going on, guys? You know, and it wasn't even like I was going out to their dorm or anything like that. It was like, I saw them walking across campus. That really does inform how we go about a lot of stuff. That's where the peer support thing that I mentioned earlier comes into play too of, you know, making sure that your friend isn't getting too tilted when they're playing. It's, it's, we have three residence halls on campus and that's it. We don't have 10 or 15, we have three. But that really, really feeds into to how we operate as well. Like I know for League of Legends this season, our League of Legends season did not, did not go well really at all. Um, but um, it was really, really cool for me that we would go out for dinner after all of our games too. And not that that's unique to us. I know a lot of schools do stuff like that. But uh, I remember one game in particular, it was really, really cool. Um, we won. It was uh, We had two wins this year in League of Legends, and it was the first one. And we went out to a Korean barbecue, and there was not all, not all, two guys on the team couldn't go, and two other people in the program joined us. But we were there for two and a half hours. And we were eating, and we were BSing, and we were joking. And it was really powerful for me, especially with my role in the program, sitting there including me, there were seven of us there. And four of those seven students were recruits to the program that started last academic year. There you go. So for, for exact, yeah. So for me as an educator sitting there thinking these four, two of them aren't even from in-state and none of these people would know each other if not for this program, but there's in jokes, there's, you know, busting chops and, you know, supporting each other too. There's also from a few of our students, a little fear with, you know, it was their first Korean barbecue. So, you know, what is cow tongue, <laughs> you know, and all that kind of, <laughs> but it was cool. And it's, it's that kind of stuff that I think we try to, to have those experiences in a non-forced way. I've never said, and I never will say after every game, we're going out for a meal. Cause I know that I'm the boss and that changes the entire interaction. Yeah. But when the students do it, it's like, Hey, let's go. Hey, let's see if I, let me see if I can get y'all coffee if we're going out to Starbucks or, or whatever it might be. But me not pushing that, I want it to happen. But it does happen a, a decent amount. Um, the meals after the games were mainly with Overwatch and League of Legends. But that kind of stuff, I think, is, is really, really good, the, the family environment. Like I mentioned, we had, a, we had a coach for our Overwatch team, and he was somebody that worked in housing. Uh, he was an, uh, an assistant director in housing, also like a master's player in Overwatch and stuff like that. But he was somebody, too, that even before he was coaching the team, some of our players would go by and talk to him about Destiny and go by and talk to him about Overwatch. And just like, you know, staff members on campus that are into that kind of stuff. Like our, the captain for our Hearthstone team, one of his business uh, faculty members was uh, used to play WoW, I think up through Cataclysm, and was a big like Warcraft 3 and all that player. And they would talk about games a little bit. And he never put the teacher never played Hearthstone. But when our captain explained to him, like, you played WoW, like you'd probably recognize characters on the cards. The teacher came out to our fireside gathering and they, for about 45 minutes after the, the actual event ended, were going through talking about decks and like our captain was like, you know, and here's a deck that's meta and you do this and you do this. And the teacher was like, oh, that's amazing. Cause this guy, you know, was back up in Silver Pine Forest and he would blah, blah, blah. And it was just like that kind of community doesn't always happen when you're at a midsize or a larger school. Cause you don't have interactions like that with faculty, all yeah. that kind of stuff. The family stuff I think is really just like what, what shapes our program. I, I almost want to take it a step farther than like that. That's message that I have heard a lot is it takes a village. It sounds like the school yeah, of your yeah. size is creating many more interactions that are regular, but irregular. As soon as you start getting 
to those bigger campuses. And I, I love that idea. I love that those communications and those interactions are happening at a higher level because the teachers and the students are that much closer together. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before I get you going on another wow bender and start <laughs> telling, we can start going through uh, stories of our runs through Shadowfang Keep or Caverns <laughs> of Time and... I don't know, like Undead Strath, all the, all those old dungeons. Why don't you do some shout-outs and just give us a good old sign-out for your university? Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're really excited uh, with the program that we have. Uh, we're really excited with the, the collaborations that we've made with other schools in the area. We work really closely with uh, University of North Texas, University of Texas Dallas, uh, Shriner University, Concordia University, Oklahoma University trying to, again, elevate this space. Um, we've connected with all the pro teams in the area, a lot of the companies, uh, but the lifeblood of our program really is our students. Uh, we're really, really excited to see who knew was coming in this year, but also, and I think this is a testament to, to kind of what I was talking about with the family stuff too. The people that we had last year that are coming back, I look forward to them coming back and seeing what we can do with the program. But also some of the students that we have returning to the school, but due to their course load or due to their work schedule, can't take part on the team they took part in. We're still talking about like, they're like, I still want to be involved. What can I do? So looking at what that next iteration is going to be to see how this, uh, this program can evolve, but still have student central uh, as its focus, uh, but also it, its heart. Yeah. Like I mentioned, shout out to, to Chris Haskell. He helped me out a lot getting this up and running. Uh, Dylan at UNT, a lot of our students, Parker, uh, Jacob, Jacob, it's not somebody named Jacob Jacob. There's two different Jacobs. Uh, <laughs> a, a, lot of, a lot of people have helped us get to where we are right now. Uh, my boss, Dennis, uh, President Slaybach. It, it's, it's been one of the most exhausting and one of the most exciting things I've ever done. And I, I look forward to just keep on trying to, to build out our little piece of this exciting space. There we go. Well, thank you so much, Eugene. It means a lot for me to be able to make these podcasts and get them out there and make sure that everyone can have their slice of limelight and make sure that people know that these programs are out there so that they can be part of those communities and kind of enrich that space. So I appreciate you taking the, the time at a late hour to come do this talk with me. And if there's any developments that you want to share or just things that you want to boost the signal on, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to do a quick blurb for you or have you come back onto the show and we can talk more about the developments of your program as it goes along. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Thank you for having me here and thank you for that offer. I will take you up on that when there's more stuff to talk to you about. Absolutely, man. But thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, you have a nice night and take it easy. I look forward to hearing more about the school as it comes on. All right, man. Thank you. You take care too. Later.